With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Make your winning move today and bet at my bookie. Use promo code GATERS and claim your deposit match redeemable up to $1,000. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. Gators Breakdown, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I am your host, David Waters. You can find me on social media at GatorDave underscore SEC and at Gators Breakdown coming at you on this Monday night here with co-host Will Miles. You can find us at readingreaction.com on YouTube at readingreaction as well and at Will Miles SEC on social media. Well, man, we were just discussing right before we came on here. We're live right here on YouTube, but uh, we got lots to get to. Transfer portal is wide open. Um, not a lot of news, of course, for Florida as maybe incoming guys. We'll get into that a little bit, but of course, got to hit all the guys so far. Uh, and today is official uh, the guys that are entering the transfer portal uh, and leaving the University of Florida. We know some of the names already. It's kind of leaked out over the last few days. Guys already making their intentions well known. Uh, but also, you know, we'll, we'll get into the transfer portal talk. We'll get with a little bit of coaching stuff as well. As uh, we could go when we got on here, we were just on the heels of Sean Spencer and Corey Raymond getting fired. Uh, so we've, uh, you know, maybe a little bit of uh, names uh, to, to go along with the coaching search. And also, everybody. We haven't forgot. This just kind of been busy. Our over-under from the beginning of the season, we will revisit those to see how right and wrong we were uh, there. So, Will, man, never a dull moment, and this will not be a dull episode. This will be just kind of rapid fire. Let's go, 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 go. Yeah, well, I proposed that we delayed the over-under after I went back and looked <laughs> at it and realized that my performance this year was very similar to Billy Napier's special teams units. So uh, we'll, we'll go through it all. We'll, we'll talk through it. But uh, it was a weird year, man. It took like three or four years to sort of get honed in on what the Gators were this year. And uh, by the time we knew what they were, <laughs> it wasn't exactly the most pleasant picture. So hopefully, you know, look, I mean – Hope springs eternal when you got people flying all over the place with the portal now. And so uh, obviously a lot of guys leaving the program, but that also means there's an opportunity for a lot of guys to come in and a lot of stuff to talk about this offseason, obviously, since we don't have any more games to prepare for. Yeah, unfortunately, we're not coming here talking about what bowl game we're going to because uh, that's not that's not happening there for Florida. So, hey, if we do have time, we will talk a little bit of college football playoff. Everybody got my thoughts on it uh, yesterday. I think Will put out something as well uh, at, at Read Reaction on YouTube. Uh, right, right, Will? I didn't make that up, right? Yeah, you're correct. I did put that up. <laughs> 
Yeah, was that, uh, it was a whirlwind uh, trying to follow all that stuff yesterday, but I, I, I'm, I'm, I was pretty sure you put something out as well. So, oh, yeah, that was crazy. If we have time, we'll we'll come back around to it. But you can find Will's thoughts on his channel, mine, previous episode of Gators Breakdown. But uh, if we have time to talk about it, we will. Uh, so before we get there, everybody, like what you're watching right here on the YouTube version if you're catching us live or if you're catching the replay. Subscribe to Gators Breakdown if you haven't done so yet right here on YouTube or your favorite podcast platform. And make sure you check out Gators Breakdown Plus if you haven't done so yet. A lot of new members lately taking part in this Discord discussions, taking advantage of the extra episodes, the ad-free episodes, all that good stuff. You can find the link to Gators Breakdown Plus in the description. So, uh, Will, let's get your thoughts. This is the first time you and I have gotten together. Uh, late last week, we got the news that, hey, quarterback Graham Mertz is going to return for Florida uh, in a kind of you know very critical year for Billy Napier in year three. Uh, he will have his first returning quarterback at Florida in Graham Mertz here. It is kind of weird, Will, that we're going into year three and still haven't seen a Billy Napier recruited quarterback <laughs> uh, necessarily take over for uh, be, to be the starting quarterback for a season. So uh, we'll see what it ends up. I think all in all, pretty good news for Florida. Uh, hopefully another step to be taken from Graham Mertz and this offense for Billy Napier. Uh, but also Cam Jackson announced last week that he was going to return for Florida as well. Um, two of Will, I would say the biggest gets in the transfer portal last cycle. Uh, wasn't sure if they would be back for Billy Napier's third season. Mertz, Jackson, back for next year. Yeah, I mean, Mertz is good news for a lot of different reasons. One is obviously he played real well this year, and so you've got that certainty of what you're going to get at quarterback position. But it also means that if a guy like DJ Lagway is going to come in and play, he's going to have to beat out Graham Mertz. He's going to have to be better than him. And so that's sort of the floor of what Florida's quarterback performance will be next year, and that's that's a comforting thing for somebody like Billy Napier especially, right? That He knows he's going to have to win some games, and Mertz is going to be a big part of that. As far as Jackson is concerned, um, sort of, you know, there were times where you didn't really know whether he was on the field. There were times where he made some big plays. There was a particular play against uh, against uh, uh, Tennessee that he made that that him and Caleb Banks sort of caused the interception that Joe Milton threw. He also got a, a tackle for loss against Missouri when they needed a stop against Missouri. Got the ball back into Max Brown's hands so Florida could go ahead. So he, you know he made some plays, but there were also some times where Florida's defensive line was getting knocked back. Again, you think about transfers, you think about guys being comfortable with the system. In year two, you expect those guys to take a leap. And if Jackson can take a leap, that's a huge deal for Florida because defensive line, especially, we'll get to McClellan, I'm sure, but defensive line is a place where Florida struggled. We've been talking about it now for probably three or four years where Florida just has not been very good on the defensive line, and that's sort of cascaded the whole way through the defense. So having Jackson back is is a big get for Florida and Billy Napier. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I felt... I, Especially because, as you said, McClellan, um, we'll see. And, you know, I, th- I think the original plan for him coming to Florida was hey, I'm going to be here one year and I'm going to the NFL. And look, I, I, his production was pretty similar to what he had at, uh, at, at Memphis. Uh, and then to kind of bring it over to the SEC, well, you know, it wasn't so, the moment wasn't too big. It wasn't some dip in production from Memphis to Florida. Uh, you know, I think, I thought he, you know, pretty, pretty much assimilated himself pretty well. Uh, I thought to, to, to SEC play, uh, talking about jumps, I'd like to see a jump for him uh, next year as well. You know, these guys coming in, I don't, you don't, I mean, we'd be okay with the same production, but those guys coming back, if you want the defense to be better next year, then you'd be better up front. Cam Jackson's going to be part of that. We want to see this offense maybe be more consistent. That's Graham Mertz and more maybe chances down the field, 
the passing game opening up a bit more. Graham Mertz is going to be a key part of that too. So two key cogs in the transfer portal last year. It says transfer portal is kind of the theme of this episode. One more back for one more year uh, there with the Gators. So yeah, we'll just mention that we'll get to we'll start on the defensive side first. Will Chris McClellan and Kamari Wilson uh, in the portal, two defensive standouts. In Billy Napier's first class, no longer with the, with the Gators. Uh, that that's the part that hurts just a little bit. You know, the two highest ranked players from Billy Napier's 2022 class, that transition class, and you don't get to see them finish their career at Florida. That 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 hurts a bit. Uh, both playing in their first seasons, not building off of it. Wilson didn't you know hardly played at all this year. McClellan produced about the same as he did his freshman season. Somebody we were really looking to take a big jump from year one to year two. Uh, but let's go back to Wilson first. All 13 games as a true freshman, made two starts, had his college debut uh, in, in the in the winter of Utah. Uh, 39 tackles, one and a half tackles for loss, one forced fumble, one pass breakup in his freshman season. Uh, there was talk that the staff might see him more as a linebacker. Uh, moving into the 2023 season, a move that looked like he was not willing to necessarily make. That was a talk there. Uh, so then, you know, Jordan Castell comes in, takes the job. Wilson had one tackle in the McNeese game that would set up, you know, for him to be redshirted this season. Uh, and then, pretty much, you know, every every time I got asked on Twitter, pretty much every week when the depth chart came out, I was like, guys, he's transferring at the end of the year. <laughs> it's just where we're at right now. Uh, so redshirt, he did save a year for himself, uh, and we'll see what that means for Kamari Wilson. Uh, then Chris McClellan, a little bit of a surprise here, uh, appeared in all 12 games for Florida this season, made one start, finished with 23 total tackles, seven of those solo, one tackle for loss, a half half sack. He had 23 tackles as well in his true freshman season, so he pretty much duplicated what he had from his freshman season to his sophomore season. Like I said, somebody we were looking to have more of a – role in this 2023 season, but you did bring in Cam Jackson. Of course, he was going to be behind him, uh, but you know he had two and a half tackles for loss uh, in his freshman season, one and a half sacks. He's got two years left battling with Cam Jackson, Caleb Banks, Jamari Lyons, for who he was the guy who, who made the step uh, in his second year, uh, but his first year playing, but battling those guys for the majority of, majority of the reps. So, we were just looking at those two guys and, you know, like I said, bring, being in Billy Napier's first class, the top two players of that class, that's where it hurts for me. Yeah, this isn't unusual for transition classes. Like if right. you look back at Saban's transition class in 2007, there wasn't a whole lot that he got out of that class. I think he got maybe one starter out of that class. Now, the the issue is is that he got a bunch of guys from the Mike DeBose era before him and got a and then was able to just put together a monster class there for 2008. But um but these transition classes this is one of the arguments against constantly churning coaches is that if you go through a transition class every 3 years, you can't help but deplete the talent, the depth on your team um look as far as kamari wilson is concerned you know didn't work out img commit in the secondary as bad as florida's defense was you would have expected him to be able to get on the field if he was really going to be all that great of a player look they wanted to move him to linebacker i mean we saw they needed linebackers so maybe that was more of a need than it was um than it was the best position for kamari wilson at the same time i mean look they're they're there was an opportunity for people to get out on the field last year, given what we saw. And the fact that we didn't see Wilson get out there, I do think says something about where where he's going to sit and where he may end up. McClellan was a good player, especially his freshman year. I think, again, 
we were sort of expecting him to take a step forward this year. We don't see that. Um, you know, Banks and uh, and Jackson come in, sort of slide in in front of him, like you mentioned. Lions taking a step forward, but you know, the thing is, a defensive line, you just need to be able to flash. You need to be able to make big plays behind the line of scrimmage and then rotate out. You're going to get tired in the SEC. We don't want you. You know, you shouldn't be Gervon Dexter there taking 67 snaps against LSU and being completely gassed by the end of the game. You want guys to rotate in. So that one is a little bit of a surprise. At the same time, McClellan's an interesting case. So I was actually talking at the at the Gainesville quarterback club when he committed, and that was in between <laughs> yep. the Mullen firing and the Napier hiring. And he just randomly committed. There was no coach. <laughs> and so you're like, all right, I guess this guy wants to be a Gator. That's what makes it surprising to me. Hey, as I look back note, at it. And on that note, Will, part of what I'm hearing about him is he just missed Holmes. He, he, he's missing Holmes. So, yeah. Uh, it's, fu- it's funny because like, I, mean, I literally got a question while I was there. How much? How much of a difference can the coach really make in recruiting if we've got guy if we've got blue chips committing with no coach? I'm like, believe me, guys, it makes a difference. I don't know. How, I don't know how to uh, how to get this point across, but it makes a difference. But that, it was just sort of curious that he committed without a coach in mind. Like you look at you like, oh well, maybe Spencer leaving impacted him, or you know maybe just the the depth chart and all that sort of stuff. It's like, no, nah, that guy. He, he, you know, to commit without a coach has a lot of shows a lot of faith in the program, the system, all that sort of stuff. And so it's interesting that that he's one of the guys who leaves. But like I said, I, I think transition classes, you expect there to be a lot of attrition. You expect there to be um, you're not expecting to get impact players out of there, or at least not a lot of impact players. Think about guys like ETN and Shamar James who came in in that class. Those guys have kind of been impact players. So mm-hmm. in terms of Florida being able to get production out of that transition class, they certainly have thus far. Obviously have to hold on to those guys and have to see the same kind of impact from the bump class and then from this 2024 class coming in. But you know, transition classes are always sort of squirrely. You don't really know what you're going to get out of those guys. And, uh, you know, so not a huge surprise to see that, the attrition that you're seeing, especially, I mean, look, it's a new day and age with the transfer portal, right? I mean, it used to be two, three, four guys maybe would transfer off your team at the end of the year. Now we're looking at, I mean, it was interesting that before the Florida State game, you know, you and I are both there. They did the senior day introductions. Yeah. And three quarters of the guy who guys who got introduced were juniors. Yeah. I'm sitting there about halfway through going, well, that guy's got eligibility left. That guy's got eligibility left. That guy's got eligibility <laughs> left. COVID year kind of screwed all this up too. So. Well, it sort of did, but I'm still sitting there going, you know, these guys all have a year of eligibility left, or a bunch of them do, and they're all going out on senior day, which suggests to me that they've already been told, hey, portal it up. So, <laughs> so uh, you know, they got to make room. It's It's funny. I'm looking right now. My numbers has Florida at 22 available scholarships at this point, given what their roster is. It might be I might be off by one or one or two. I think, given I think it's eleven. I, mean, I think it's eleven scholarship players, maybe who've put their stuff, name in a portal. Yeah. So I mean, but with the guy, so I'm actually including the guys who got introduced on senior day. Oh, okay, okay. Um, so so I end up, I have a count of 19 when you count the seniors who are coming off the rolls too, uh, which puts them at 63 total scholarships, 22 left over to get to that 85. I mean, we want them to sign a 26 or a 27 man class, which means there's going to be five or six guys who are going to get, um, who are going to decide to go into the portal, quote unquote, decide to go into the portal um, based on playing time. And, you know, look, I mean, that might be part of it here for McClellan. They may have told him, hey, you're behind three guys at defensive tackle. Just know that. And then looks at it and says, "Hey, that's not a place I want to be. I can I can go start someplace else, um, and it's worth making that change." I, I think part of it for me, Will, it was just two guys that played a lot as freshmen. 
So you hope that they would build on it. I mean, granted, you know, I, I get the part of, and yeah, you know, I was gonna, I was gonna go there too with the transition class. You do have a lot of movement from that class, all in all, but kind of weird to see how much those guys played as young, you know, freshmen and not be able to build on it. Look, Sean Spencer got fired, so you know, development may may come into that for uh, McClellan a bit. Like he had gained some weight uh, from last year to this year as well. Uh, so. I mean, you know, they, they didn't take the next step. Now they're on their way out. Was hoping you know all those youth snaps in year one would pay off, and these are guys you'd be counting on in this critical year three for Billy Napier uh, to turn this defense around. And I'm not saying these guys aren't replaceable. Sure they are. But to go back a year ago, to go back when they signed and they're your top two players in the class, that's where it hurts for me. I, I When I go back and look at the help Florida needs on defense and you got two highly ranked players here and they just don't work out. Uh, when and you gave them all those snaps in their freshman season, that's kind of just where it kind of comes full circle to me, and that's where it hurts. You look, know, I could care less if they go ball out elsewhere or fail elsewhere. It just they didn't work out for Florida, and we you know we we make so much about recruiting that we know all, we know they all don't pan out. But they have your top two, and they play a lot their freshman season, and then not work out. That's kind of where where it stings for me a little bit. Yeah, well, this is also the difference between a guy ranked fiftieth and a guy ranked fifth. The guy ranked fifth works out ninety percent and eighty percent of the time. The guy ranked fiftieth works out fifty to you know thirty to fifty percent of the time. And that's just the reality: is that the can't miss prospects are can't miss prospects for a reason. And Kamari Wilson and Chris McClellan, while very good players, were not can't miss prospects. And that's what we're seeing with this. Now, the one thing I can say, or the one thing I think we should say, is that Billy Napier strategically decided to go young. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's then legitimate to take a look at his classes and go, you can't intentionally decide to go young and then start bleeding the young guys off the roster <laughs> at this point. Like, it, because what are we going to do? Are we going to sit there and say next year, well, the roster's really young again? It's like, well, I mean, it's year three. The roster shouldn't be young anymore. Like, your guys should be developing. And if you're losing all your guys and you intentionally decided to go young, give those guys playing time, all that sort of stuff, I think traditionally, yeah, you can sit there and say, well, you know, attrition in a transition class, that makes sense. But they strategically decided to do this. And so I think that does open you up to some criticism, especially when you look at a team like Oregon, who went out there, got a transfer transfer portal quarterback. But a lot of those guys who were succeeding seating for Dan Lanning were Mario Cristobal recruits. And then you look at a team like Washington. A lot of those guys obviously go out and get Michael Penix Jr., but a lot of those guys are from the previous administration. And, uh, you know, there's – even if you look at Brian Kelly, right, gets Jaden Daniels in there, a lot of those guys are from the Orgeron Orgeron administration, though clearly they needed some help on defense this year the same way Florida did. So – Look, I think there's plenty of room to criticize based on the way the roster was built. Mm-hmm. But I think historically what's happened with transition classes, this shouldn't be all that unexpected. I think both things can be true, and that's sort of where I'm at on it. Me too, me too. You explained it there. I, I, play, I, I, put that, I said that in the chat we had last week as well, and certainly a message that I've been hitting on on uh, other, other avenues, Gators Breakdown Plus, other chats that I'm into of building the roster this way and then losing some of those young pieces. Um, kind of kind of odd uh when you go back and look at it uh so let's go why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them with royal caribbean you don't just go to the beach you visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in north america you don't just go for a road trip you atv and zip line through the jungle you don't just go somewhere new you rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples because this isn't just any vacation this is all the vacations 
Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Back on offense, Will, and headlined so far by Will. I am so sorry. I am so, so sorry. Quarterback Max Brown, just a transfer portal. And I, I know it's a dagger, Will. I know so much it's a dagger. Uh, but Max Brown, Caleb Douglas, tight end Jonathan Odom kind of headlined the offensive side. Uh, guys so far, Odom dealt with injuries, passed up by Hayden Hansen. Caleb Douglas had some highlight catches. And all in all, probably someone I'd like to see maybe stick around to see if he could get healthy and you know maybe take a step next year. I'm not going to act like it's a huge loss here either, though. Um, started the first five games of 2023 before that season-ending leg injury in the Kentucky game where he made a really good catch. 11 catches, 133 yards, and a touchdown this year. Eight games last year as a freshman. Uh, 10 catches, 175, two touchdowns. Uh, had his first career catch was that 62-yard touchdown. And then, Will, I know this one hurts you. Max Brown, 9 of 16, 86 yards in the FSU game last week. Uh, sacked six times in that game, threw a pick, uh, and came off the bench against Missouri, of course, uh, and kept the offense going uh, there. You know, one turnover there that was uh, in, in uh, close to scoring position there for the Gators. Uh, so for the season, 192 for Max Brown, 19 to 28, two turnovers. He's got three years left. Look, when Mertz coming back, DJ Lagway coming in, writing was on the wall for him. Uh, but there's your. Three main guys so far. Of course, there's a list of other guys we'll just get into in just a second to go over. But those are the three that highlight the offensive side. Yeah, Odom to start with, I think, is probably the least of the losses when you look at it overall because you've got Arliss Boardingham and Hayden Hansen who really took over the role as starting tight ends. Um, you know, Keon Zipper also walked out during senior day. Chances are we're not going to see him anymore. But Boardingham and Hanson, relatively young, going to man that position for a couple more years. Um, obviously, if there's an injury, you'd love to have a guy like Odom there, but that's really injury insurance. That's not that's, that's not a starter that Florida's losing, given the way those other guys have stepped up. Douglas is a little bit different case because you've got Khalil Jackson, who was who was a starter outside pretty much all year. You got Trey Wilson, but you lose Ricky Pearsall. So who's going to step up in that in that spot? Mm-hmm. I mean, is it going to be Jaquavian Frazier? Is it going to be Marcus Burke? Is it who are, be, who are two other guys probably also to be looking out for in the next few days? Is it going to be Aiden Mizell or Andy Jean? Is it going to be like Jeray Hawkins coming in from this 2024 class? Like there are a lot of guys who you know there are a lot of names we can we can uh, we can throw out. You got you got Tawaski Abrams as well. But um, you know here's the reality: is, is that one of those guys, Mizell or Gene, is going to have to step up into that role this Absolutely. next year. And look, we all looked and said, I mean, in fact, so in the preseason magazine specifically, I said, typically you get like 35 catches out of a guy who's going to be a star eventually. That's kind of what Florida got out of Percy Harvin. They got like 60 catches out of Trey Wilson this year. So um, now some of those were the little shovel passes behind the line of scrimmage. And certainly he wasn't taking the ball to the house like Percy. I'm not comparing anybody to Percy. But in terms of what you what you could expect from a true freshman, you got about a much as you could out of Trey Wilson, especially considering he missed a couple of games. So they need one more guy to step up there. It would have been nice to have Douglas in that fold, given that he's already produced on the field. And, you know, even on the on the play he got injured on um, was a really nice play down the field against Kentucky. But mm-hmm. uh, but obviously, you know, hey, look, this happens, right? You 
if he anticipates he's going to get passed by a guy like Gene or like Mizell, it makes sense to start looking someplace else. And then you mentioned Max Brown. Obviously, I have a little bit of a football crush on him. The bigger <laughs> the bigger problem is, is that my kid was jacked because the quarterback has the same name as my eight-year-old. And we went to go see him, and we're sitting there in the stadium, and, and he's watching Max Brown asking me why Billy Napier won't let him throw the ball, and I had no answer. But um, – <laughs> but it was hard because he came downstairs, you know, maybe a week ago. It was whatever day Brown announced he was going to the portal. And uh, he came down for, for breakfast and he told me that I could only call him Max Brown because that's what he wanted to be called from now on. I didn't have the heart to tell him that he went to the portal that day. But uh, <laughs> he's since been notified. So uh, I think we'll make it through. And especially if DJ Lagway is any good, I'm pretty sure my little Max will forget, <laughs> will forget about Max <laughs> Brown. Now, if he goes to like Syracuse and starts lighting it up all over the place, then maybe, maybe we won't. But uh, <laughs> I, I think he's actually – look, I know I'm biased, but I think he's going to be a pretty good player where he goes. And he's one of those guys that I am going to follow and, and expect to see do pretty good things wherever he ends up. Now, is it going to be at a Power 5 school? Probably not, but like a Tulane or you know Coastal Carolina losing Grayson McCall. If you could slide a Max Brown in there to do some stuff there. I, I think if he ends up in the right spot, I think Brown could probably have a pretty good college career. All right, so let's keep going. Offensive lineman Jalen Farmer – Tied in Andre Salvinea, who was a defensive lineman at one point as well. Wide receiver Ty Bowman, kicker Adam Mihalik. Uh, Join offensive lineman Jordan Herman, Jordan Herman, and safety Jadarius Perkins from earlier this season. All those guys heading into the transfer portal. Uh, of course, there's other names out there that's been floated out there. We won't ignore it. We've been bringing up names anyway. We'll see about Will Norman. Of course, that was reported last week. See what his decision is. Not officially in the portal uh, as of the 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 day of the Monday when you could officially enter um, would hurt to use another interior defensive lineman as we're, as we're talking about right here uh, from Billy Napier's first two classes, highly ranked defensive lineman. It would, you know, it would, it would sting to lose two of those guys. Uh, and also of course, you know, Trevor ETN, we all know the names out there to watch for the transfer portal still here. And it's likely he's on his way out, but look until it's officially in until we officially hear it, there's a slim chance uh, that, that it doesn't happen. But of course, just want to keep you guys informed of still what I'm hearing down. is still supposed to happen uh, of uh, him entering the portal. Hopefully it does not. Uh, that, that, that one would sting the most. Will that one would sting the most. Yeah, there's only three guys on the roster who I look at and say, these are rough ones if Florida loses. The first is ETN, the second is Shamar James, and the third is Trey Wilson. Those are the three guys who you just go, all right, are they replaceable? And I think it's difficult to say that Trevor Etienne is replaceable. Can you replace some of his production with Cam Carroll and Montreal Johnson and Trayon Webb? Sure. But are you going to replace that burst through the hole that we saw? Right. No, nah, you're just not going to be able to do that. Same thing. If they lose Trey Wilson, you know, are you, are you going to, and there I'm not sure we've heard anything, but, but if, if you look, if you lost Trey Wilson through the, through the transfer portal, I mean, not only are you losing, losing 60 catches from a true freshman, you're losing a guy who's now going to have a full offseason to prepare, learn the offense, and quite honestly, probably slide into that Pearsall role more often now that Pearsall's gone. So some downfield shots to a guy who seems to have the ability to create separation are coming if Trey Wilson can get there on the outside. And in that, and the point, third- in that one point for you, just before we go to the next one, at one point, remember, he didn't go through spring last year. He was a fall enrollee and brought came in with 60 catches. Yep. And then you got Shamar James, who was a freshman All-SEC last year and was probably going to he might have been the guy who wound up on the All-SEC team um, if he'd have played all year. Uh, obviously gets hurt before the Georgia game because of that turf and then and then can't 
you know, isn't successful during that game and then has to stay out the rest of the year. So he doesn't get those accolades, but he's a guy who, I mean, Florida's defense wasn't good all year, but it went from like not good to atrocious when Shamar James went down and having him at middle linebacker, making the calls, patrolling that area is key for this defense, especially next year. So to me, those are the three, right? I mean, Yes, you would like to hold on to a lot of these guys, but like I said, we don't really know which guys Billy Napier and company are saying, hey, you know, maybe you should go to the transfer portal versus the guys that they go, no, 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 stay here. We want to convince you to stay here. I think ETN, Wilson, and James are certainly three of those guys that we know they're trying to hold on to. And so when they leave, obviously, that that is concerning, But or if they were to leave, that is concerning. Um, so hopefully that won't happen with ETN, and uh, hopefully it won't happen with those other two either. And we'll have all three of them back on the field next year because, to me, especially in the world of the portal, there is going to be an opportunity to get essentially replacement-level players yeah. at just about any position you want to get. And in fact, when the carousel stops, I think there's going to be a surplus of of replacement-level players who would want to come play in the SEC, right? That their options are going to be back up in the SEC or maybe go start at a G5 school somewhere when the carousel actually stops. I think you know there's going to be spending on the front end for the really, truly elite players. Like if you want to go get Walter Nolan and bring him in at defensive tackle that's going to cost some that's going to cost some nil dollars but there are going to be some guys on the back end you're going to be able to bring in for depth guys who maybe will take a step forward that you can that you can see a jump from where they where they left to to coming into the florida program Um, so there will be some opportunities to hit on those sorts of things and given what we saw especially on the defensive side of the ball I'm not sure there's anybody you can say is a plate above replacement level last year, like where you just sit there and go, oh, no, that guy leaves. We can't possibly deal without him, <laughs> except for, like I said, Shamar James. So while I'm, I'm, while I'm disappointed that a guy like McClellan or a guy like Kamari Wilson or even a guy like uh, even a guy like Darius Perkins, like while it's disappointing that those guys are leaving, I still look at it and I go, yeah, I think we can find someone who's equivalent in terms of performance and maybe even better given, given all the players are going to be in the portal. Uh, all right, so yeah, going there, just kind of wrapping it up. Now, Billy Napier's first class is 2022 class. Seven high school recruits out of the 18 are no longer a Gator. Um, as we call, dis- discussed, transition classes, always weird, but you don't usually get a ton of production out of them. But Sting's one of the top two players, um, and maybe the best in the class, ETN, would <laughs> would, 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 would be out of it. That, that would sting. Uh, and then, of course... On the other angle of this, Kingsley Aguacan entering the NFL draft. And look, the way Jake Slaughter played this year, of course, I just think uh, that would just probably be a, a make sense move there uh, for both parties. Aguacan, good luck to him uh, as he prepares for the uh, NFL draft. Hey, we do have some good news as far as the transfer portal goes. Uh, a big visit coming up this week for Florida. We'll get into that on the other side here. But hey, if you found a hundred dollar bill on the ground, you wouldn't just walk past it. So don't pass up a chance at easy cash with my bookie. My bookie has the biggest online selection of odds and contests to fill all your sports betting needs anytime, anywhere. So you could turn that sports knowledge into cash in your wallet, bet on the NFL college bowl games, or play for a share of big cash prizes in the weekly blackjack tournaments. If you've been waiting for the right time to get in on the action, well, that time is now make your winning move today. Sign up at MyBookie, use promo code GATERS, and claim your deposit match redeemable up to $1,000. Again, that is promo code GATERS to claim your bonus. Experience the thrill of sports betting right from the comfort of your home. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie. 
Uh, well, so we'll, we'll, we will stay on the transfer portal. And the good news of the current top-ranked defensive lineman in the own three transfer portal rankings, University of Penn defensive tackle Joey Slackman will officially visit Gainesville this weekend. Now, I didn't see Walter Nolan's name on that list. So we would know he would be the top. But, okay, here's the second top. <laughs> if we go through here, if we go through own three's transfer portal rankings right here. But Joey... Uh, Joey Slackman, six foot four, three hundred pounds, visited unofficially back in the Arkansas game. Like what he saw, um, has a good bit of scholarship offers from Power Five programs, including Florida. Recorded fifty total tackles, including twelve for a loss and four sacks this past year. His ninety point one overall Pro Football Focus grade led all SES defensive tackles, as did his ninety two point eight run defense rating. He posted 18 pressures as a pass rusher, which tied for 36 among FCS interior defensive linemen. Posted a pin, had a 64 overall record, three or four in the Ivy League, but he's first team all conference selection. Um, currently one of four finalists for the Ivy League's Defensive Player of the Year award. As uh, a former wrestler at Penn, Will switched to football a couple years ago, uh, was named 2022 All Ivy Honorable Mention after starting. All 10 games, tallying 49 tackles, four and a half for loss. In his three years at Penn, the senior has recorded 115 tackles, 25 tackles for loss, 11 sacks, three passes defended, two forced fumbles, and a block kick. Will, the offer list goes Michigan, Washington, Missouri, Miami, Pitt, USC, Florida, a lot of other schools in the mix. Yeah, it might be Ivy League, it may be FCS, but a lot of big-time programs are taking notice his first official visit will be in Gainesville. Will, I say this is also important because we go back to a year ago. We go back to the transfer portal cycle, and we saw high-profile guys make one visit and not come out of that visit without committing. So Florida hopefully can put in some work. As far as I know, this is the only one he's scheduled so far. Florida has a great chance of wrapping this one up this weekend, not letting him get anywhere else for a big, big, big position of need. Well, you're you're very optimistic about the chances. I hope you're correct. Um, hey, I, I, that was a, that was optimistic. I said you have to get it done. I didn't say they will get it done. <laughs> so, so next week we'll be coming back going ah, he went to Alabama or whatever. So, um, look, Florida has an enormous need at defensive line, especially interior defensive line. Slackman six foot four, three hundred pounds, so he is an interior defensive lineman. Um, allows some of the guys who are playing out of position to maybe shift outside a little bit more to that defensive end. Um, and you know, look, Florida hasn't been able to stop the run or get any push up front in about three or four years. And Slackman can help with that. As far as the competition is concerned. Look, I, I've got I got a couple of friends. One of them played left tackle in the Ivy League back when Penn was winning winning Ivy League championships probably a decade ago. And it's a legit league. It's not. I mean, it's it's better than high school. Obviously, it's not. Uh, you know, it's it's not not the SEC and not the Big Ten, not the ACC, but it's certainly a step up from high school. So you see a guy dominating at that level. And again, we always talk about sort of the five-star guys are easy to see. They jump off the, they jump off the tape when you look at them. Um, 
you know, when you when you look at them, and even at the high school level, and yeah, it's a man amongst boys, but you still look at it and go, yeah, that's different. And I think when you start thinking about a guy who's dominating in the Ivy League the way he is, it's sort of the same type of thing. And and look, there are guys from the Ivy League, usually two or three every year, who end up going to the pros. Um, there are NFL players that are sitting there in the Ivy League. Hope hopefully Slackman is one of them, and then he comes to Florida for a couple of years and and is off to the NFL after dominating up front flip for the Gators because there's no doubt that is a spot where Florida needs it. And quite honestly, if you gave me Slackman and Walter Nolan, I'd be doing backflips. Um, we probably we know that's probably not happening. But give me give me Slackman and uh, you know. Uh, and Jordan Seaton, and I'll still do the backflip for everybody. We'll record that. <laughs> um, Seaton actually will uh, make his decision on Thursday. We'll get in that in just a second too, since Will brought his name up. But uh, hey, um, look, this is part of it too. Will we came together last week and off the heels of coaches fired and Sean Spencer being one of those. Florida still does not have announced a defensive line coach hire, so. I just mentioned how important it was for these guys to get the first visit, have them in. But you, if you, you, you'd hope to have a defensive line coach hire made so they can talk, they can meet for the first time, uh, and hopefully that would go a long way. If he's, if you don't have a guy here on campus this coming up weekend and one of your biggest targets on campus, hopefully that doesn't hurt you too much, and hopefully. You know, he doesn't make a decision if he goes visit somewhere else to commit, you know, maybe get so impressed this weekend, but maybe he has to wait on a hire. I don't know what the timeline is for, for, for the hire. I know Florida would love to have it in place or at least a name in place this weekend. But having a guy like this on campus this weekend, it'd be ever so important. Yeah, I got to be honest, man. Unless the new hire is still playing in games that mean something, they need to get somebody in like pronto. Right. Like to, to let people go and not have the next person in line. Like there's, I don't think there's any rule about tampering with coaches. Is there like, like they should have had back channel conversations. They all have Jimmy Sexton as an agent anyway. Just, just bring in Sexton, talk to him, figure out who's out there <laughs> negotiate that stuff and have him, have him in there. I mean, Clemson just hired a couple of new people today after they had let their coaches go. Right. And so and the, they let their coaches go late last week. So and, the, and Chris the, Rump, whose name was in the mix for Florida, is at Clemson now. So the deliberate approach is not successful here. And like I said, if, if they end up bringing in guys from Michigan or they end up bringing in guys from Washington or Alabama or, 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 uh, you know, or Texas, then okay, I will, I will take that back. But the, the deliberate approach in many of these things I think has been disappointing because look, yes, it's great if your prospects send tape and you get to evaluate the tape and there's a humility in, in the fact that they're willing to send that and all that sort of stuff. At the same time, like when you're a f- five-star prospect and you got 14 programs after you, you don't have to do what everybody asks you to do. You don't, have, you don't really need, nor should you have that level of humility. And I think sometimes an arrogant streak is actually a good thing for a football player and same thing for a coach. And and they just need to speed it up. If Again, I, I think it's to have big-time recruits on campus without their position coach in place is a problem. They need to bring in somebody in. They need to bring them in fast. And not just bring in a guy to bring them in, but they need to bring in the right guy for that position yeah. too. Shouldn't take 17 job interviews. You've been around long enough. You should know who those people are, who you're going to target. And look, if it is Chris Rumpf and you just got beat out by Clemson, who was second, third, and fourth on your list? Because those people should have already been contacted and they should have somebody in Gainesville by the end of the week. That's sort of the way it is. 
Yeah, sense of urgency has kind of been you know something that uh, I've hammered home you know uh, you know a little bit more behind the scenes, but here here as well you know, when you and I talk. But hey, we'll keep it right there. Defensive line, and I think Elijah Robinson was a serious contender to replace John Spencer. He was at Texas A and M. He was an interim coach when Jimbo got fired. Uh, but since last week, though, Syracuse hired UGA DB coach Fran Brown as their head coach, and now he's making Robinson the defensive coordinator at Syracuse. Uh, so. That one won't happen. <laughs> so uh, I do think that was um, at least likely part of the early plans uh, in replacing Sean Spencer there. Uh, on the other side, two names I think we're now hearing the most for DB coach Will Harris. I brought him up on the last episode. Uh, and now TJ Rushing, speaking of Texas A&M. Uh, but Harris is L.A. Chargers assistant secondary coach. Before that, Georgia Southern defensive coordinator. After he coached DBs at Washington. Really good developer there. Uh, and then you go to the other side for rushing. He was on Jimbo's staff at Texas A&M since 2020. Will, the connection there, he was at Arizona State with Napier when Napier was the offensive coordinator in 2017. So a little bit of connection uh, when you when you, so, uh, when, when you bring up Billy Napier and a coach, a DB coach uh, that Florida now is trying to hire. So those are the names, uh, I think, uh, as far as DB coach goes, where we're going. Defensive line. I still, I, I'm not gonna sit here and say they're still trying to figure it out, but I, I don't think it's, at least on the outside, as clear uh, as maybe two names we're looking at for defensive back. And look, hey, so many times this turns into the, all the names that you bring up are not even the hires. So there may be a whole lot of other candidates out there that we're really not, uh, you know, bringing up. If they bring back William Piegler, I'm gonna be very upset. <laughs> Well, That's all I got. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I don't think he can coach defensive line or DB, so <laughs> I think you're safe there, Will. I don't know. Did a good job with the tight ends. <laughs> Where he was running back coach at Michigan State before that. So. <laughs> uh, you know, if, if we're, if we're going to put a square peg in a round hole, let's do it now. <laughs> we're just going to have a hiring place. That's, a, that's what Will's saying. That's all we'll say. telling you, I'm available. I, I've heard these guys make pretty decent salaries. And yeah, if there's only – Put me on the side. I can count to 11. <laughs> I struggle with that sometimes. Let's be honest. <laughs> oh, having some fun here. I got I to be asked for three quarters of a million bucks. I don't know, man. I'd, I'd, uh, I'll do whatever they want. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, yeah. Hey, um, I, Dur, Dur, uh, I can't even say the name here, but anyway, how about hiring Saban and smartest co defensive head coaches? Why not? Why not? Beats Piegler. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Got to have some fun, man. When when you don't make a bowl game, you got to have some fun. Yeah, there we go. Bring back Patrick Tony. <laughs> That's what Rob Best says there. Uh, hey, guys, thanks for the laughs. Good fun, good fun here. We can have some fun. We can have some fun sometimes. Hey, we're going to have even more fun. Will and I are going to go back. We're going to go back. Look, um, we should have done this last week in a way, but the the the, the firings kind of punted this one to next to, to this week. Uh, we're going to go back to our over unders. Everybody, well, I won't say everybody, but a lot of people like them when we do them at the beginning of the year. And now we get to uh, kind of stand in the paint a little bit and see where uh, where we ended up on this. So it was over under for twelve games. Um, look. Was it because I didn't think Florida was going to make a bowl game? <laughs> it was just twelve games is easier to easier to keep up with. So, uh, unfortunately, uh, here we are talking about it after. All right, next year we're doing thirteen. Dave. <laughs> well, we got to go back to twelve for this year if we want to start comparing. Uh, yeah, um, thirteen next year maybe. Nah, we'll we'll stick with twelve. Just to, like we said, kind of makes it easier here. But all right, we'll start with 
Will, we started 15 passing touchdowns for Mertz. Um, over. Uh, I don't, that, that was kind of easy, uh, I think. He was last season at Wisconsin uh, in 12 games. He had 19. Uh, so I thought 15 was a pretty good place to go. Uh, he had 20 in 11 games. Uh, so we didn't even need that 12th game for Graham Mertz. That's what we got to remember about Graham Mertz and some of these uh, passing stats here. He only had 11 games, uh, but 15 passing touchdowns is what I put it at. I hit, I picked over, and he had five more than that in one last game. So the funny part is, is I'm going to read some of what I said when this happened because it actually makes some sense. This one I got right. Yep. I said he had 19 for Wisconsin last year. He wasn't very good. He'll get six versus the two cupcakes and then the little <laughs> screens that are going to be his friend in the red zone. And so that one I did get right. All the rest of them are coming up. I'm pretty sure I got most of the rest of them wrong. But it's so funny because I go and read the reasoning and I'm like, yeah, that's pretty solid. I wonder why that didn't happen. <laughs> like, uh. So I, we both picked over on that one. 15 touchdowns for a guy who starts a lot is, uh, yeah, you know, it, it's, it's not that many to be honest with you. No, it's not. It's not. But, uh, Hey, we all remember hearing, Oh, he's no good. He's no good. Well, probably he was better than that. Yeah. Uh, this one here was maybe a little more tricky, but, all in all, it really wasn't when you look at the final stats. We put, I put the over-under for Graham Mertz, 2,100 yards passing. He had 21-36 his last year at Wisconsin, um, but only 1958, 1,958 in 13 games in 2021. So it was hard to know, you know how much would Florida run the ball, how much would they rely on Mertz's arm. Anthony Richardson had 2,549 yards in Billy Napier's first season at Florida. So it was over-under 2,100 I did go over. I did say not way over. Well, Graham Mertz did go way over. He threw for 2,903 yards. The over-under was 2,100. Well, he blew that out by 800 yards here. Uh, and, hey, good for him. Um, like I said, I said over. I didn't think it would be 2,900 yards. Good for him. Yeah, I'll eat some curl on this one. So I had him under. <laughs> um, it's 175 yards a game. And the key for me is I suspected he was going to miss a game or two with injuries. Hmm. And there were a bunch of times where Max Brown was warming up on the sideline this year after he took a shot to the gut. You were close. And that, and that dude kept getting up and kept getting in there. I have so much respect for the punishment that he took back there behind Florida's offensive line. And especially considering that he never threw the ball away, no matter what the situation was. Um, and so he took some real shots and kept getting up. And, you know, it's, it's really easy if, if in that Georgia game, if he hadn't gotten up after one of those shots and had missed a couple of games, maybe he doesn't make the 2,100 yards. So I, I thought he was going to get there if he stayed healthy, just didn't think he'd stay healthy. And then, you know, he does end up staying healthy all year long and obviously blows that out of the water. Yeah, except for you know, except for the last game uh, there, so he didn't even need it to get over our our over unders here. Um, so we go to the run game, average two hundred yards rushing, um, two hundred point two last year. Uh, I went over. That was wrong. Florida had one hundred and forty nine point eight, not even close to the two hundred rushing yards. Will. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think we both took the over on that one. My my rationale was I thought ETN is special. I think that actually did prove out. Yeah. Um, I said Johnson's good, but I think ETN goes for 1,200 to 1,500 yards this season. And with Carroll out, that opened up even more opportunity for him. Um, you know, the fact that last year they wanted to get the ball to Anthony Richardson, but this year they'd want to get ETN the ball. And it turned out that wasn't the plan. 
the plan was we're going to give each of them 12 carries a game, no matter what it takes. And sometimes we'll give them each eight carries a game and, and chuck them all over the yard. I don't think any of us saw that, right? I think nobody came into this year thinking that Florida was going to just throw the ball all over the place and that the passing offense was going to be the strength. And it turned out that it was. So, um, you know, look, I, th- this is one of the reasons why Florida's five and seven. They needed to average 200 yards a game. Yes. Yeah. And in the games where they were able to run effectively, where ETM was able to hit big plays, they won most of those games. In the games where, you know, they didn't even stick with the run, those were the ones where they got drilled. And we didn't start out very well. Would they have like 26 rushes for 13 yards in the game against Utah? So pretty much our over under was destroyed at that point. <laughs> you weren't ever yeah, you had, yards you had, a game after you, you had, do that. Right. That you had that game and the Kentucky game early in the season where the run game just didn't get going. Yeah. Well, and and again, I think I think I underestimated at least the effect that Anthony Richardson was going to have on the running game. Yep. That that not having the threat of the quarterback keeping around the edge was really going to compress things inside. And the 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 reality is that hurt Montreal Johnson more than it did Trevor Etienne. Mm-hmm. Etienne was able to break through even though he was getting hit closer to the line of scrimmage. But the stats sort of bore that out. I looked at it about halfway through the year, and the running backs were getting hit like a half a yard closer to the line of scrimmage than they were last year. And that's why you saw the differential between ETN and Johnson, because ETN was somebody who could make that first guy miss and could get a little bit more out of the run. And Montreal Johnson couldn't. But I mean, geez, we saw when they gave when they gave ETN specifically, but even both of them, when they gave them the ability to sort of um you know, to when they gave them an opening, both running backs were able to take 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 advantage of it. They just didn't give them enough, give them enough openings. We'll go to your point. Look at go back and look at the FSU game. Montreal Johnson had a pretty good game. And what happened? You had a quarterback that could threaten the defense with his legs. And so that kind of goes to your point there. The one time we did get to see it this year, uh, Montreal Johnson did get to take advantage of that uh, with, with, with a running quarterback. So, yeah, good, good, good looking out there. Uh, let's go to any running back averaged 13 carries a game. No running back did it the year before. Johnson had about nine with 115 total carries. ETN had about nine uh, on 118 total carries. Very similar stats in year one under Billy Napier. Well, they had about very similar stats again <laughs> in year two under Billy Napier, going to your point earlier, Will. Um, 13 carries a game was the over-under. Montreal Johnson had 12.6, so if you want to round up, give it to him. ETN had 12, one less. I had both getting around 15, so I was off on that one. Um, so, But as far as the over-under goes, uh, Montreal, he, 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 uh, 13 was a pretty good number to hit it at, Will. <laughs> yeah, I think ETN probably would have gotten there if he hadn't hurt Man. his shoulder, right? He yeah. had those couple of games where he was really one where he missed and one where he was protecting the shoulder. Correct. Correct. Um, it was going out of bounds. I think he probably gets there if that doesn't happen. At the same time, you kind of expect that for a running back that they're going to get dinged over the year, which is one of the reasons why 13 runs for an over under is, uh, is a challenge when you've got a team that's going to give it to the running backs as much as Florida does, is that they were the expectation was they were going to try to be physical and, and that that took its toll over the course of the year. So, yeah, I took over on that one. Uh, we can maybe give ourselves a push. I think 12.7, you round that up to 13. I'm all right with that. Yep. So it was, It's the yeah. only other one I got right, so whatever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, this one may be a little bit of a surprise, but some people were, 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 were catching on with it. Any wide receiver, 45 catches. 45 was the over-under. I went over with Pearsall getting it. Um, 
And hey, he did. Um, so Pierce all had 65 catches. Wilson had 61. So you had two receivers go over that 45 yard or 45 catch mark. Um, pretty good there for uh, what we were wondering coming into the season. Most had pegged Wilson to be that true freshman breakout receiver. I think most also thought they'd see more Mazel. They'd see more Andy Jean. Will, you called that one. Uh, in preseason, a lot of people were hyping up all three freshman receivers. Uh, you were kind of pumping the and tapping the brakes just a little bit about, hey, maybe not all three of them, uh, but we did. Hey, look, the one that was the highest ranked ends up <laughs> being the one uh, that, that shows out the most here comes in late. As I said earlier in the season comes in in fall camp only had four less catches than Ricky Pearsall. As you said, some of those pop passes, but you know, Pearsall was the benefit of a little bit of those as well. Uh, but Hey, for a true freshman to come in 61 catches with Pearsall having 65, let's just know this passing game did expand a bit. You had two guys that you could rely on in the passing game. We saw Boardingham, uh, you know, have that midseason stretch as well. It did seem like you know they were able to identify some more playmakers in the passing game. And when it was all said and done, they had two receivers go over 45 catches. Yeah, well, look, Pearsall's catches weren't cheap. I mean, fourteen point no. eight yards per reception. The one where you know Mertz forced it into him, and we got the Jordan catch or the Jordan <laughs> logo on the catch, um, which is just an unbelievable catch that they'll be playing over and over on on highlight reels for years. Um, you know, obviously, I took the under in this one mainly because Pearsall only had thirty three catches last year. I think we have. I have this memory of him, and he was the main target. But there was this memory of him being this guy who was just gobbling up six, seven, eight catches a game, and that's not what happened last year it's absolutely what happened this year but it's not what happened last year the interesting thing is this really i think is a function of florida average 33 passing attempts a game mm. and 35 rushing attempts a game so typically napier has been far more rush heavy and for various reasons he was not as rush heavy this year a lot more balls in the air and when the ball went in the air it went to trey wilson and went to ricky pearsall at least to start with um you know the next most was montreal johnson who had 30 catches so it was either a check down to the running back or it was pearsall Wilson every once in a while boarding hammer Khalil Jackson will get into the get into the fray a little bit but you know the reality was it was either a check down or it was one of those two guys and when that's the case when you've got two guys who clearly are head and shoulders of everybody else you're going to hit those marks and so that's why Florida wound up over yeah and we saw it too as the season went on you really start with that Georgia game Wilson being very integral for that first design drive uh, they felt wanted to get the ball in his hands uh, for the offense to put a touchdown up early in games um, speaking of the offense, we got one more here. The offense, 30 points per game. I went with the uh, I went with over the over under was the 35 the previous season. Um, but um number wasn't even 30, it was 29 and a half of the Gators last season. Well, well, it was even less this year in 12 games, 28.4, surprisingly, <laughs> for, for for the offense. 28.4 in 2023. I went over and got this one wrong. I thought I thought they'd you know, hit over the 30 point mark, uh, right there at 28.4. Yeah. I said over, but barely. And really what it came down to was for all of Anthony Richardson's positives, they didn't convert all the yards into points last year or two years ago, I guess now. And I looked at it and I thought Utah, Tennessee, Arkansas, Vanderbilt, and Missouri had bad defenses. Um, I think Missouri wound up being an average defense. Tennessee actually wound up better than I thought. But Arkansas, Utah, and Vandy obviously had bad defenses. And then LSU had a bad defense. So if I were to look back at the defenses Florida was going to play this year, I would have said, yeah, I still think they should have gotten over 30 points per game. 
but obviously they they sort of fell flat on their face against Utah, fell flat on their face against Kentucky. And the ironic part is that the place where they didn't get this done was not putting up 45 against Charlotte. If they had put up 45 against Charlotte, then they hit that 30-point-per-game over and we're sitting there going, oh, because, I mean, they scored that many against South Carolina, scored that many against Arkansas, scored that many against LSU, scored that many against Vanderbilt, scored that many against Missouri. <laughs> And then, and then, obviously, the fifteen point stinker a little bit there against Florida State with Max Brown at the helm. But uh, they were close, and that was one of those things where it was like that was a good over under right where it should be. We both took over, and uh, again, one more that uh, didn't turn out for me. Uh, Big Gator Caesar, I was able to answer your question fast. He said, "How many completed passes over twenty yards did the Gators have this year?" I was able to find that pretty quickly. Forty three, forty three passes over twenty yards. Well, that's 43 uh, passes good. that went 20 yards. You'll, yes, we'll have to yes. go look. Um, yes, air correct. yards is a very different story. I want to yep. say it's probably like six or seven where the ball was actually like more than 20 yards in the air. I'd have to go look back. I might be completely wrong on that. But um, that's actually one of the things I'll be looking at this offseason when it comes to Mertz is there's a great site, SEC Stat Cat, out there if you're interested. Um, it's a couple bucks on Patreon to get, the, get access to the stats. But uh, um, it's well worth it if you want to look at that sort of stuff. He's got breakdowns of the different depths, basically yep. air yards. Now, what I will say is his, air, his average depth of target was like six and a half yards from the line of scrimmage. And for, for context, Anthony Richardson's was up over nine last year. So definitely a lot more dinks and dunks than we saw in year one under Billy Napier. Yeah, if at least, yeah, for going to Will's point of, of passes that gained at least 20 yards, um, whether, you know, be in the air or catching runs, 43 of those. Uh, so there we go. Uh, all right, we'll go to the other side and it's defense. Oh, Lord, I guess we do have to talk about defense, don't we? <laughs> uh, we set the over under 25 points per game. I went with the over. Uh, I said I see 26 to 27 per game and look, it hit 27, basically 27 and a half points a game this season. Uh, the Gators gave up 29 points in 13 games last season uh, per game. So they in some ways, Will did improve over last year's defense when you t- when you take the twelve games in in, in totality here. Uh, but um, either way, um, we set the over under at twenty five. The Gators had twenty seven and a half. I said over, barely, and it hit. Hey, I got this one. Finally. Um, here's what I wrote. I go, there just isn't any real reason to believe this defense is going to be locked down. I think the complete bust will be gone, but Armstrong is going to give up some big plays. Those will lead to some shootouts. Little did I know that it should have said those will always lead to some shootouts. But uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and this is one that I got right all year long. I sort of looked at Armstrong's profile and said, I think he's going to give up a bunch of big plays. And then the fact that Florida couldn't get any pressure, which will be the next one that we talk about. Um, um, was problematic, and and the big plays came more often than even I thought there'd be. Yep, uh, we set the over-under at 30 sacks. The Gators got 22. Uh, I got it wrong. I went over 30 uh, this year. Look, I thought Armstrong's reputation for being a more aggressive play caller would get the defense there. Florida only had 23 sacks last year, so they had one less this year. I was way off, and I picked the over on this one. I thought they'd get there just because. Hey, look, Austin Armstrong did it at Southern Miss. Um, it, we 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 looked. We went back and looked. You know, even Will. You know, going back to and seeing all the explosions that he gave up, we still saw there were sacks uh, in, involved in Austin Armstrong's defense at Southern Miss, not at Florida. 
Yeah, Southern Miss had 3.3 sacks per game last year. Florida only had 1.8. So it was right in the middle. You'd be at 31 sacks, and then Florida had 1.8 sacks per game this year. Um, I thought Human Milan take a big step forward. He kind of did. 11.5 tackles for loss, 7 sacks. There were some times where you'd like to see more, like get up to the 11 or 12 mark. Um, But the big problem for Florida is their next highest sacker after Human Milan is is Derek Wingo with 2.5 sacks. You've got Tyrese very two. sparingly. You yeah, think you got, about that. Yeah. Well, but here you got Wingo who's coming on a blitz to get the sack. You got Jayon yeah. Hill who had two sacks. Scuba Williams had one. Shamar James had one. Um, so the only guys on the defensive line, you got Caleb Banks with one, Kelby Collins with one and a half, Chris McClellan with a half, TJ Searcy with a half. And then you got Cam Jackson didn't have any. And then you got Human Melan with seven. Um, Desmond Watson had a sack as well. So the defensive line just did not get the mm. job done when it came to getting the quarterback. You want to get maybe like two-thirds, maybe even three-quarters of your sacks from the defensive line. If you've got a linebacker who has like eight or nine sacks to go along with a defensive line that's playing pretty well, okay, that's all right. But, you know, gone are the days of having of having Ja'Kai Polite and Jabari Zaniga on either side terrorizing the quarterback. Um, you know, even Human Milan, I think, was sort of serviceable. Like you think yeah. about think about a guy like uh, – I mean, if Justice Boone would be on the other side – yeah, maybe makes maybe, maybe makes maybe a difference. Makes a difference yeah. But that's also part of the problem, right? Is that uh, you need to this staff itself needs to build up the depth to where you can take an injury because there are always going to be injuries and mm-hmm. you get an injury at an area of need. We were even talking edge rusher was a place where they were looking for people last yeah. year in the spring, specifically in the portal, didn't really bring anybody in. And then you get the injury to Boone and all of a sudden you can't get any pass rush. Um, I mean, it just killed them not being able to get to the quarterback. It was basically a constant. And the fact that Wingo is the second highest sacker, um, is indicative of they had to bring guys on the blitz, and when they didn't get home, it was a mess. So, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, hopefully, uh, what do you set the over under for next year? Like fourteen? Like is that? Where, where, where? Ooh. So, <laughs> I mean, we could go ahead. I mean, I guess we'll see who they bring in the transfer portal sure. or something. I mean, but just to have fun with it, they had twenty two this year. Uh, I'll probably set it at twenty three next year. Oh my goodness, twenty three. Dude, if they don't go over twenty three, Austin Armstrong is getting like is getting escorted out of town by everybody <laughs> in Gainesville. Like that twenty three ain't gonna get the job done, man. Hey, twenty three last year, twenty two this year. Oh, I know why oh, you yeah, have to put yeah, it there. I'm yeah. just saying, like if we get halfway through the year and he's at eleven sacks, he ain't the defensive coordinator anymore. That's yeah. sort of the way it's gonna be. Oof. Um, wait, one place surprisingly they did get better. We went for our last one here. Third down conversions. And I went with a rank here. It was over under 60th. Well, they were 43rd in third down conversions. Uh, I went the under and, and got this one. Uh, one positive for the defense overall here was third down defense. And, um, of course, you know, still clutch moments. You would have liked the third down defense to be a little better. But overall for the season, the third down defense was better they were 43rd, Will. They were 129th last season, giving up near 50%. Uh, so nowhere near that this year. So I had this one right, too. I took under just because 
this is one that tends to fluctuate a lot year to year. Um, and, and so it was like, ah, they were bad last year. They'll probably be good this year. And I figured they'll get off the field more often than they did. Th- so, you know, that meme where the guy's like pointing at his head and like making, you know, like that's kind of what I feel like it is, is you can't be bad on third downs if you never face third down. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you give up eight yards of play. It doesn't really matter whether you're good on third down or not. And that was sort of Florida's problem this year. 36%. Were, uh, I left the number out. 36%. They were fifty percent last year. Look, I think I think one of the really positive things, and there, I've I've been looking for a while for statistics that would suggest that Florida's defense actually made progress this year. And there's a couple really important ones, but the one that I would point to the most is one that Bud Davis has brought up on on Twitter a couple of times is success rate. Mm-hmm. So f- the success rate, I think it was like forty two or forty three percent. Offenses had successful plays back in 2022, and it went down to like thirty seven or thirty eight percent this year. That is commensurate with Georgia in terms of success rates or from an efficiency perspective, Florida's defense was as good at preventing successful plays as the Bulldogs. But when you go to explosive plays, they were nowhere near where Georgia was. And so when they got gashed, they really got gashed. And that was sort of what cost them everything. So if you think about that, Austin Armstrong is a guy who does tend to get gashed, so it's not going to go away completely. At the same time, I think we all expect there to be more pressure next year. I expect him to have his own guys when it comes to defense. Obviously, that's why they got rid of Spencer and and Corey Raymond. And so I I think there is a little bit of hope for this defense given success rates um, because the point that that Bud's been making, I think it's a good one, is that success rates tend to be the more stable statistic and explosives tend to sort of of ping ping pong around a little bit. Um, But, you know, they don't seem to ping pong around all that much with Austin Armstrong, which is my overall concern is that he seems to be pretty consistent in terms of giving up those big plays. And you look at teams like you look at teams like uh, like Georgia and they stop the run up front. They don't they're they're never the leaders in disruptive plays behind the line of scrimmage. They're never sitting there just terrorizing the quarterback by bringing all sorts of blitzes and stuff. They just have a secondary that can hold up for the amount of time the defensive line takes to get to the quarterback. And they don't give up anything big. Like to me, the enduring image of that game, I think Nick Knudsen texted me right afterwards. It was a fourth down. They threw one out in the flat to Trey Wilson. It looked like he was open and was going to get the first down. Georgia linebacker came over and brought him down two two yards behind the line of scrimmage, changed possession. And I'm sitting there going, they never miss a damn tackle <laughs> ever. And so to me, that's going to be the key this year is, is Florida's going to have to work on tackling. And, uh, you know, thankfully everybody should be fresh because they haven't had all these bowl practices to, to, to wear themselves out. So when spring practice comes around, I fully expect like full-time big time pads. And, uh, you know, the, they're not going to look like the night from Monty Python anymore. Just sort of, you know, both arms cut off, chucking themselves into the running yeah. back. Like yeah, there's going to be some wrapping practices going on in the, in the spring. I want winter conditioning. I want those guys out there at five o'clock in the morning when it's 32 degrees. When, you know, whenever we get 30 degrees here in Florida, but um, you know, <laughs> there and 100 degrees oh, over the summer. Yeah, yeah, whatever. You know, the, we, if, you, we, if you can tackle someone when it's 100 degrees, 98 percent humidity, in, in in the middle of Florida, you can tackle somebody any time of year. They're slippery <laughs> by the time it gets to June and July out there. <laughs> Oh, all right. Good episode right there, Will. Um, Portal, uh, everybody just, hey, keep your eyes open, of course. Hey, for, well, first of all, PSA, don't fall for the fake tweets out there, by the way. You got to look and, <laughs> you gotta look and 
see the at and make sure it's the real account and all that. Saying, it says Babylon B99. <laughs> that guy's been putting out some good ones recently. Like he, yeah. he almost got me on one the other day, but he's got me laughing out loud a couple of them. He had the yeah. he had minus with the with the emoji with the sunglasses on the other day <laughs> after the decommit. I was like, okay, that's pretty good. <laughs> Uh, speaking of that, yeah, last episode that talked a little bit of recruiting, commit, decommit over the weekend for the Gators, all that good stuff there. But uh, well, I know you got you um, you gave me a preview of it, but uh, what you working at? What, what you working on over at Read Reaction? Yeah, so there's I've got like nine different things that are going on in my head, but one of them is that there's been a lot of talk about uh, Napier's in-game coaching, and I wanted to take a look and say, all right, for the dominant coaches out there. And really, the Florida histor- the coaches historically is the end game coaching really that critical? And I think it's interesting some of the things that I found in terms of there's just some stuff I think you have to do before you even get into the game to make sure that you're going to be winning at a high level. And I think you can really start to see that when you look at guys like Urban Meyer and Nick Saban and and Steve Spurrier and those sorts of guys. So hopefully I'll have that up tonight. If not, I'll have it up tomorrow, and it'll be a good look at sort of where the hope comes from for Billy Napier in terms of building and what he's building on the field. Good stuff. Check it out, readreaction.com. You can follow Will and Nick over there at Read Reaction on YouTube. Stand up and holler. Their weekly show going on over there on YouTube. So that'll do it for this episode of Gators Breakdown. I am your host, David Waters. You can find me on social media at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thank you for joining us on this episode of Gators Breakdown. <laughs>